0: Section 2 of Soldier's Pay. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Soldier's Pay by William Faulkner. Chapter 1, Part 2. Who sprang to be his land's defence, and has been sorry ever since? Cadet! Who can't date a single girl long as Kiwis run the world. Cadet! With food in their bellies and a quart of whiskey snugly under Cadet Lowe's arm, they boarded a train. Where are we going? asked Low. This train don't go to San Francisco, do she? Listen, said Yap Hank. My name is Joe Gilligan. Gilligan. G-I-L-L-I-G-A-N. Gilligan. J-O-E. Joe. Joe Gilligan. My people captured Minneapolis from the Irish and taken a Dutch name, see? Did you ever know a man named Gilligan? Give you a bum steer. If you want to go to San Francisco, all right. If you want to go to St. Paul or Omi haw, it's all right with me. And more than that, I'll see that you get there. I'll see that you go to all three of them if you want. But why in hell do you want to go so damn far as San Francisco? I don't, replied Cadet Lowe. I don't want to go anywhere, especially. I like this train here, as far as I'm concerned. I say let's fight this war out right here. But you see, my people live in San Francisco. That's why I am going there. Why, sure, Private Gilligan agreed readily. Sometimes a man does want to see his family, especially if he don't have to live with them. I ain't criticizing you. I admire you for it, buddy. But, say, you can go home any time. What I say is let's have a look at this glorious nation which we have fought for. Hell, I can't. My mother has wired me every day since the armistice to fly low and be careful and come home soon as I am demobilized. I bet she wired the president to have me excused as soon as possible. Why, sure, of course she did. What can equal a mother's love? Except a good drink of whiskey. Where's that bottle? "'You ain't betrayed a virgin, have you?' "'Here she is,' Cadet Lowe produced it, and Gilligan pressed the bell. "'Claude,' he told a superior porter, "'bring us two glasses and a bottle of sarsaparilla or something. "'We're among gentlemen today, and we aim to act like gentlemen.' "'What you want glasses for?' asked Low. Bottles all right yesterday.' You got to remember we are getting among strangers now; we don't want to offend no savage customs. Wait until you get to be an experienced traveller and you'll remember these things. Two glasses, Othello." The porter in his starched jacket became a symbol of self sufficiency. "You can't drink in this car; go to the buffet car." "Ah, come on, Claude, have a heart." "We don't have no drinking in this car. Go to the buffet car if you want. He swung himself from seat to seat down the lurching car. Private Gilligan turned to his companion. Well, what do you know about that? Ain't that one hell of a way to treat soldiers. I tell you, General, this is the worst run war I ever seen. Hell, let's drink out of the bottle. No, no, this thing's got to be a point of honor now. Remember, we gotta protect our uniform from insult. You wait here, and I'll see the conductor. We bought tickets, hey, buddy? With officers gone and officers' wives having a grand old time of their lives. An overcast sky and earth dissolving monotonously into a gray mist, grayly, occasional trees and houses marching through it, and towns like bubbles of ghostly sound beaded on a steel wire. "'Who's in the guard-room chewing the bars, saying to hell with the government wars? Cadet!' And here was Gilligan returned, saying, "'Charles, at ease. I might have known he would have gotten another one,' thought Cadet Low, looking up. He saw a belt and wings. He rose and met a young face with a dreadful scar across his brow. "'My God,' he thought, turning sick. He saluted, and the other peered at him with strained distraction. Gilligan, holding his arm, helped him into the seat. The man turned his puzzled gaze to Gilligan and murmured, "'Thanks.' "'Lieutenant,' said Gilligan, "'you see here the pride of the nation. "'General, ring the bell for ice water. "'The lieutenant is sick.' Cadet Lowe pressed the bell regarding with the rebirth of that old feud between American enlisted men and officers of all nations, the man's insignia and wings and brass, not even wondering what a British officer in his condition could be doing traveling in America. Had I been old enough or lucky enough, this might have been me, he thought, jealously. The porter reappeared. No drinking in this car, I told you, he said. Gilligan produced a bill. No, sir, not in this car. Then he saw the third man. He leaned down to him quickly, then glanced suspiciously from Gilligan to Lowe. What y'all doing with him? he asked. Oh, he's just a foreigner. I found back yonder. Now, Ernest. Lost? He ain't lost. He's from Georgia. I'm looking after him. Captain? to the officer. Is these folks all right? Gilligan and Low looked at each other. ''Christ, I thought he was a foreigner,'' Gilligan whispered. The man raised his eyes to the porter's anxious face. ''Yes,'' he said slowly, ''they're all right. Does you want to stay here with them, or don't you want me to fix you up in your place?'' ''Let him stay here,'' Gilligan said. ''He wants a drink.'' ''But he ain't got no business drinking. He's sick.'' ''Loot,'' Gilligan said. ''Do you want a drink?'' ''Yes, I I want a drink, yes.'' "'But he oughtn't to have no whiskey, sir. "'I won't let him have too much. "'I'm going to look after him. "'Come on now, let's have some glasses, can't we?' "'The porter began again. "'But he oughtn't say, Luke,' Gilligan interrupted. "'Can't you make your friend here get us some glasses to drink from?' "'Glasses?' "'Yeah, he don't want to bring us none.' "'Does you want glasses, Cap'n?' "'Yes, bring us some glasses, will you?' "'All right, Cap'n.' He stopped again. "'You're going to take care of him, ain't you?' he asked Gilligan. "'Sure, sure.' The porter gone. Gilligan regarded his guest with envy. "'You sure got to be from Georgia to get service on this train. I showed him money, but it never even shook him. Say, General,' to Low, "'we better keep the lieutenant with us, huh? Might come in useful.' "'Sure,' agreed Low. "'Say, sir, what kind of ships did you use?' "oh for christ's sake," interrupted gilligan, "let him be he's been devastating france now he needs rest." Eh, Lut? beneath his scarred and tortured brow the man's gaze was puzzled but kindly and the porter reappeared with glasses and a bottle of ginger ale he produced a pillow which he placed carefully behind the officer's head then he got two more pillows for the others forcing them with ruthless kindness to relax he was deftly officious including them partially in his activities like fate Private Gilligan, unused to this, became restive. Hey, ease up, George. Let me do my own pawing a while. I aim to paw this bottle if you'll give me room. He desisted, saying, Is this all right, Captain? Yes, all right, thanks, the officer answered. Then bring your glass and get a drink. Gilligan solved the bottle and filled the glasses. Ginger ale hissed sweetly and pungently. Up and out, men. The officer took his glass in his left hand and then Low noticed his right hand was drawn and withered. "Chiro," he said. "'Nose down,' murmured Low. The man looked at him with poised glass. He looked at the hat on Low's knee and that groping, puzzled thing behind his eyes became clear and sharp as with a mental process and Low thought that his lips had asked a question. "'Yes, sir,' Cadet, he replied, feeling warmly grateful, feeling again a youthful, clean pride in his corps. But the effort had been too much, and again the officer's gaze was puzzled and distracted. Gilligan raised his glass, squinting at it. Here's to peace, he said. First hundred years is the hardest. Here was the porter again, with his own glass. Another nose in the trough, Gilligan complained, helping him. The negro patted and rearranged the pillow beneath the officer's head. "'Excuse me, Cap'n, but can't I get you something for your head?' "'No, no thanks. It's all right.' "'But you're sick, sir. Don't you drink too much?' "'I'll be careful.' "'Sure,' Gilligan amended. "'We'll watch him.' "'Let me pull the shade down, keep the light out of your eyes.' "'No, I don't mind the light. You run along. I'll call if I want anything.' With the instinct of his race, the negro knew that his kindness was becoming untactful, yet he ventured again. I bet you haven't wired your folks to meet you. Why not you let me wire them for you? I can look after you as far as I go, but who's going to look after you then? No, I'm all right, I tell you. You look after me as far as you go. I'll get along. All right, but I'm going to tell your pa how you're acting some day. You ought to know better than that, Cap'n. he said to Gilligan and Lowe. You gentlemen call me if he gets sick. Yes, gone now, damn ye. I'll call if I don't feel well. Gilligan looked from his retreating back to the officer in admiration. Loot, how do you do it? But the man only turned on them his puzzled face. He finished his drink, and while Gilligan renewed them, Cadet Lowe, like a trailing hound, repeated, Say, sir, what kind of ships did you use? The man looked at Lowe kindly, not replying, and Gilligan said, "'Hush! Let him alone. Don't you see he don't remember himself? "'Do you reckon you would with that scar? Let the war be. "'Hey, lieutenant!' "'I don't know. Another drink is better.' "'Sure it is. Buck up, General. He don't mean no harm. "'He's just got to let her ride as she lays for a while. "'We got all horrible memories of the war. "'I lose eighty-nine dollars in a crap game once, "'besides losing, as that whop writer says, "'that and which thou knowest a chatter teary.' "'So how about a little whiskey men?' "'Chiro,' said the officer again. "'What do you mean, chateau thierry said Lowe, boyish in disappointment, feeling that he had been deliberately ignored by one to whom fate had been kinder than to himself. "'You talk about chatter Thierry. I'm talking about a place you were not at, anyway.' "'I was there in spirit, sweetheart. That's what counts. "'You couldn't have been there any other way. There ain't any such place.' ''Hell, there ain't. Ask the loot here if I ain't right. How about it, Lute?'' But he was asleep. They looked at his face, young, yet old as the world, beneath the dreadful scar. Even Gilligan's levity left him. ''My God, makes you sick at the stomach, don't it? I wonder if he knows how he looks. What do you reckon his folks will say when they see him? Or his girl, if he's got one? And I'll bet he has.'' New York flew away. It became noon within by clock. But the gray imminent horizon had not changed. Gilligan said, "If he has got a girl, know what she'll say. Cadet Lowe, knowing all the despair of abortive endeavor, asked what New York passed on, and Mahone beneath his martial harness, slept. Would I sleep? thought Low had I wings, boots, would I sleep? His wings indicated by a graceful sweep, pointed sharply down above a ribbon, purple white. "'Purple.' "'Over his pocket.' "'Over his heart.' "'Supposedly. "'Low descried between the pinions of a superimposed crown in three letters. "'Then his gaze mounted to the sleeping, scarred face. "'What?' he repeated. "'She'll give him the air, buddy.' "'Ah, come on. "'Course she won't.' "'Yes, she will. "'You don't know women.' Once the new has worn off, it'll be some bird that stayed at home and made money, or some lad that wore shiny leggings and never got nowhere so he could get hurt, like you and me. The porter came to hover over the sleeping man. He ain't got sick, has he? he whispered. They told him no, and the negro eased the position of the sleeping man's head. You gentlemen look after him, and be sure to call me if he wants anything. He's a sick man. "'Gilligan and Lowe, looking at the officer, agreed, and the porter lowered the shade. "'You want some more ginger ale?' "'Yes,' said Gilligan, assuming the porter's hushed tone, and the negro withdrew. "'The two of them sat in silent comradeship, the comradeship of those whose lives had become pointless through the sheer equivocation of events, of the sorry jade circumstance. "'The porter brought ginger ale, and they sat drinking while New York became Ohio.' Gilligan, that talkative, unserious one, entered some dream within himself, and Cadet Lowe, young and dreadfully disappointed, knew all the old sorrows of the Jasons of the world who see their vessels sink ere the harbours left behind. Beneath his scar the officer slept in all the travesty of his wings and leather and brass, and a terrible old woman paused, saying, "'Was he wounded?' Gilligan waked from his dream. "'Look at his face,' he said fretfully. He fell off of a chair onto an old woman he was talking to and done the... What insolence, said the woman, glaring at Gilligan. But can't something be done for him? He looks sick to me. Yes, ma'am, something can be done for him. What we are doing now, letting him alone. She and Gilligan stared at each other, and then she looked at Cadet Lowe, young and belligerent and disappointed. She looked back to Gilligan. She said, from the ruthless humanity of money... "'I shall report you to the conductor. "'That man is sick and needs attention.' "'All right, ma'am, but you tell the conductor "'that if he bothers him now, I'll knock his goddamn head off.' "'The old woman glared at Gilligan from beneath a quiet, "'modish black hat, and a girl's voice said, "'Let them alone, Mrs. Henderson. "'They'll take care of him all, right?' "'She was dark. "'Had Gilligan and Lowe ever seen an Aubrey Beardsley, "'they would have known that Beardsley would have sickened for her.' He had drawn her so often dressed in peacock hues, white and slim and depraved among meretricious trees and impossible marble fountains. Gilligan rose. That's right, miss. He is all right sleeping here with us. The porter's looking after him, wondering why he should have to explain to her. And we are taking him home. Just leave him be, and thank you for your interest.' But something ought to be done about it, the old woman repeated futilely. The girl led her away, and the train ran swaying in afternoon. Sure, it was afternoon. Cadet Lowe's wristwatch said so. It might be any state under the sun, but it was afternoon. Afternoon, or evening, or morning, or night. Far as the officer was concerned, he slept. Damned old bitch, Gilligan muttered, careful not to wake him. Look how you got his arm, the girl said, returning. She moved his withered hand from his thigh, his hand, too, seeing the scrofulous indication of his bones beneath the blistered skin. Oh, his poor, terrible face, she said, shifting the pillow under his head. Be quiet, ma'am, Gilligan said. She ignored him. Gilligan, expecting to see him wake, admitted defeat, and she continued, Is he going far? in Georgia, Gilligan said. He and Cadet Lowe, seeing that she was not merely passing their section, rose. Low, remarking her pallid distinction, her black hair, the red scar of her mouth, her slim, dark dress, knew an adolescent envy of the sleeper. She ignored Low with a brief glance. How impersonal she was, how self-contained, ignoring them. He can't get home alone, she stated with conviction. Are you all going with them? Sure, Gilligan assured her. Low wished to say something, something that would leave him fixed in her mind, something to reveal himself to her, but she glanced at the glasses, the bottle that low feeling a fool yet clasped. You seem to be getting along pretty well yourselves, she said. Snake medicine, miss, but won't you have some? low envying Gilligan's boldness, his presence of mind watched her mouth. She looked down the car. I believe I will if you have another glass, why, sure. General, ring the bell. She sat down beside Mahon and Gilligan and Low sat again. She seemed, she was, young. She probably liked dancing. Yet at the same time, she seemed not young, as if she knew everything. She's married and about 25, thought Gilligan. She's about 19 and she's not in love, Lowe decided. She looked at Low. What's your outfit, soldier? Flying cadet, answered Low with slow patronage. Air service. She was a kid. She only looked old. Oh, then of course you're looking after him. He's an aviator too, isn't he? Look at his wings, Low answered. British. Royal Air Force. Pretty good boys. Hell, said Gilligan. He ain't no foreigner. You don't have to be a foreigner to be with the British or French. Look at Loughberry. He was with the French until we come in. The girl looked at him, and Gilligan, who'd never heard of Loughberry, said... "'Whatever he is, he's all right, with us, anyway. "'Let him be whatever he wants,' the girl said. "'I'm sure he is.' "'The porter appeared. "'Captain's all right,' he whispered, "'remarking her without surprise, as is the custom of his race. "'Yes,' she told him, "'he's all right.' "'Cadet Lowe thought. "'I bet she can dance,' and she added. "'He couldn't be in better hands than these gentlemen. "'How keen she is,' thought Gilligan.' She has known disappointment. I wonder if I could have a drink on your car. The porter examined her, and then he said, Yes, ma'am, I'll get some fresh ginger ale. You going to look after him? Yes, for a while. He leaned down to her. I'm from Georgia, too. Long time ago. You are? I'm from Alabama. That's right. We gotta look out for our own folks, ain't we? I'll get you a glass right away. The officers still slept, and the porter, returning, hushed and anxious, they sat drinking and talking with muted voices. New York was Ohio, and Ohio became a series of identical cheap houses, with the same man entering gate after gate, smoking and spitting. Here was Cincinnati, and under the blanched flash of her hand, he waked easily. Are we in? he asked. On her hand was a plain gold band, no engagement ring. Pond it, maybe, thought Gilligan. "'but she did not look poor. "'General, get the lieutenant's hat.' "'Low climbed over Gilligan's knees, and Gilligan said, "'Here's an old friend of ours, loot Meet Mrs. Powers.' "'She took his hand, helping him to his feet, and the porter appeared. "'Donald Mahone,' he said, like a parrot. "'Cadet Low, assisted by the porter, returned with cap and stick "'and a trench coat and two kit bags. "'The porter helped him into the coat.' I'll get yours, ma'am, said Gilligan, but the porter circumvented him. Her coat was rough and heavy and light of colour. She wore it carelessly, and Gilligan and Cadet Lowe gathered up their issued impedimenta. The porter handed the officer his cap and stick, then he vanished with the luggage belonging to them. She glanced again down the length of the car. Where are my... Yes, am the porter called from the door, across the coated shoulders of passengers. I got your things, ma'am. He'd gotten them, and his dark, gentle hand lowered the officer carefully to the platform. Help the lieutenant here, said the conductor officiously, but he'd already got the officer to the floor. You'll look after him, ma'am? Yes, I'll look after him. They moved down the shed, and Cadet Lowe looked back, but the negro was efficient and skillful, busy with other passengers. He seemed to have forgotten them, and Cadet Lowe looked from the porter occupied with bags and the garnering of quarters and half-dollars to the officer in his coat and stick, remarking the set of his cap slanting backward bonelessly from his scarred brow, and he marvelled briefly upon his own kind. But this was soon lost in the mellow death of evening in a street between stone buildings, among lights, and Gilligan in his awkward khaki, and the girl in her rough coat holding each an arm of Donald Mahone, silhouetted against it in the doorway. End of Section 2. Read by Sandra. Near Montreal. 2021.